I appreciate in the moments before the talk, sitting here and listening to the rustlings, the sounds of people coming in and finding their place and it gets to be almost quiet and then somebody adjusts their posture, shifts in the chair and then it goes a little quieter and then there's a little shift. And just hearing it gradually get quiet. Something about that that uh, I really appreciate. Just hearing the natural movements of humans as they do, as we do our thing. In the instructions and in the talks in the last days, several times we've mentioned this um, encouragement, I'd say, encouragement towards continuity of mindfulness, an encouragement towards the sustaining of mindfulness over time. And I wanted to speak about that this evening. the importance of it, and how to encourage it, really. What are some supports for that aspect of mindfulness? When the Buddha talked about, uh, in the Satipatthana Sutta, that phrase that Greg mentioned the other night, Satipatthana, can mean the establishing of mindfulness. And to me, what the establishment of mindfulness is, is this coming into the continuity of mindfulness. Mindfulness is established when it is moment to moment present in our experience. And this is a form of concentration this establishment of mindfulness, this continuity of mindfulness. It can express itself in different ways. Continuity might, continuity of mindfulness might be happening as we stay with one experience, like the breath. And that produces one form of concentration, kind of a one-pointed concentration. Maybe the kind of concentration we're more familiar with, this focused concentration. But the concentration itself, a different form of concentration happens as the mindfulness becomes stable, as we are not pulled out of the present moment by reactivity, by thoughts, by slipping out because of inattentiveness or boredom. And so this is uh, another form of concentration in the Pali called kanika samadhi, momentary or moment to moment concentration. And so this uh, continuity of mindfulness is essentially how the concentration gets established. And as we um, encourage that continuity, as we encourage the stability 
either through the the one-pointed concentration or through this moment-to-moment concentration. In the moment-to-moment concentration, there's a stability of mindfulness, not necessarily a stability of objects, a stability of experience. And so we we may be um, aware continuously continuously aware moment to moment of changing experience. Now a body sensation, now a sound, now a vibration, now a thought, now an emotion. Just moment after moment. Knowing what's happening. And so in a way it's the stability of mindfulness itself rather than the stability of an object. And so this continuity supports concentration. And it also is where mindfulness gets its power from. Because as the mindfulness becomes more continuous, this is how we begin to really see very deeply into our experience. Begin to understand our experience as impermanent unreliable, uncontrollable, not me, not mine, not who I am. We begin to understand the conditioned nature of our experience through this continuity of mindfulness. And so the continuity of mindfulness is really important. And so one of my teachers um, many of my teachers actually have said this. You know, we practice, practice mindfulness from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to bed. You know, this is, this is our practice. And yet, as I think Greg said the other day, you know, we, we're probably not going to be mindful from the moment we get up to the moment we go to bed. There will be gaps. And so what I'd like to really explore this evening are ways to support continuity. So a couple of uh, shorter tools or reflections to start. One, the first way that um, continuity or that engagement really, this is partly about engagement with, with our mindfulness practice one of the ways to support this is understanding the value of practice. Sayadaw Utejaniya says that if we understood, really, really understood the value of practice, we wouldn't stop practicing. Now clearly you all understand the value of practice or you would not have signed up for this retreat. And yet sometimes we can forget. You know, sometimes we, especially in, the, in, in, in a long retreat like this, it can start feeling almost like rote. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, this is what we do. Our job is I get up and I'm mindful while I get dressed and I'm mindful while I go to breakfast. And, and it just, it, it, we don't, we lose a sense of the, the kind of the, the, the connection or the juice with the value. And so sometimes we can, um, if we find ourselves with a little bit of taking the practice for granted or just the feeling like I'm getting up to go to work today, um, reflecting a little bit 
on what benefits you've gained from the practice. You know, recognizing how the practice has supported you. And also to reflect or to recognize that you can practice right now. We do not know how long we'll be able to practice for. We actually don't know whether today's our last day here. Today, today's our last day alive. So while we are alive and have energy, while we have our minds, we don't know whether we, in, in our aging process, whether our minds will shift into dementia, not really be able to choose to practice. So right now, in this, in this time, you have chosen to be here. And you have this capacity. And so, using it, remembering that we won't always have this possibility. And so that's one, remembering the value of practice. Another um, exploration around continuity. When we talk about practicing in a continuous way, bringing mindfulness moment to moment, often that calls up the, um, the idea that what that's about is trying to do it, bringing effort into the practice, trying to be mindful. Well, I remember many times I sat down and it's like, I am going to be mindful for this whole sitting. (laughs) And kind of just like, almost like trying to muster the energy to be present for the entire 45 minute sitting in that first second. And this is maybe kind of a familiar way of applying effort in our daily lives and in in other things, you know. But in our practice, we can really only be mindful for a moment or a few moments at a time. And so exploring how we use our energy in this encouragement towards continuity rather than that mode of sitting down and and trying to pick up mindfulness for 45 minutes. All that's necessary actually is to notice in this moment, like right now, how hard is it for you to be mindful of the contact of your hands? How about the sound of my voice? The contact of your hips? against the chair or cushion or bench. Usually it's not so difficult when I name each of those things. Often it kind of just pops into the awareness. You don't have to like r- struggle and like rouse the mind to say, okay, go to the hips. It's just like, oh no, it's there. 
And so that kind of, um, for a moment, in this moment, what's most obvious? Maybe a breath, a half a breath. For a moment, it's not difficult to be mindful. And so the kind of investigation or uh, exploration might be enough, uh, enough effort or energy to be mindful in this moment. Maybe let's just explore this with the breath right now. Can you be mindful of an in-breath right now? That's it. That's all the energy you need, just an in-breath. And as the in-breath ends, how about enough energy to be with an out-breath? And enough energy to be with an in-breath. That's all. Just a light touch of mindfulness in being with the breath. Just enough energy for half a breath at a time. Can I be mindful for half a breath? Usually. And then do it again and again and again. And as we do that, just that light touch, just a gentle connection, light touch of mindfulness, moment after moment after moment, it creates a kind of um, a momentum. It's like the, the ball of mindfulness begins to get rolling. There's a, um, a game that uh, some kids play. You have a hoop and a stick and you rest the hoop on its side and tap it gently with the stick and you get the gentle taps gets it rolling. If you tap it gently a couple of times and kind of tap it from one side or the other, you can get the momentum of that hoop going so that for a little while, and you have to run next to the hoop, that's part of the game. As the hoop gets rolling, you run with it. And then after a little while, when the hoop gains momentum, you don't have to tap it anymore. You run with it, and then as you see it start to get a little wobbly, you tap again. Tap that hoop again to keep the momentum going. And that's kind of how the light touch of mindfulness works. It's like just that, just enough energy to connect with half a breath or connect with this moment of experience, this body sensation, this sound, this thought or this emotion. Just enough to connect with that and then, and then do it again. A gentle, that gentle tap, 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 that gentle connecting. And then at a certain point, When the momentum gets rolling, as with the hoop, as the momentum of the hoop gets rolling, if you keep tapping it when the momentum is going, it's going to kind of get in the way of that momentum. And so we begin to learn in our mindfulness how kind of frequently we need to remind ourselves, oh, next breath. Maybe we can, just in a gentle way, connect with half a breath and discover that with ease we're with a breath or two. And so we don't need to interrupt that to remind ourselves. And so it's, it's this beginning to recognize this experience of the momentum of mindfulness, like the momentum of that hoop. And then we might begin to even recognize that, like with the hoop getting a little wobbly, needing to tap again to keep it going. 
we might begin to recognize when the mindfulness gets a little wobbly and, oh, need to remind myself just a touch, this light touch of mindfulness moment after moment. In the walking practice, this can also be helpful. At, at one point, one of my teachers said he, he had done the walking practice. He said he couldn't do the walking practice to say, start at the beginning and I'm going to be present for the whole 45 minutes of walking. And just like I said about my, my, uh, my sitting. It's like, that was too much. He said, so I set the intention to be mindful for one path. You know, he was doing the back and forth walking so about 10 or 20 paces. He said, I set the intention to be mindful for, for that length and then to do it again when I went back. And I played with that and it was like, that was too long for me. That was too much picking up of, I'm going to be mindful till I get to the end. And so instead I started, I'd look about two feet out and say, oh, can I, can I be mindful till I get to that spot on the carpet? Step and a half. Yep, made it. Okay, how about that spot? Oh, made it to that one too. So just, if the mind is really restless or really sleepy, sometimes that just picking off little bits and just enough, just enough effort to get to the next step or the next half a breath. So light touch of effort moment after moment. This is a gentle persistence, a very gentle persistence. It, it, it is a persistence, but it's not a, a gripped kind of energy. And then given that what continuity is really encouraging is this becoming continuous with mindfulness, I think one of the, the main ways that I have explored this aspect of the practice is rather than using, um, I have used this kind of very light touch, I use that a lot actually, but Quite often what I explore is just noticing the comings and goings of mindfulness. Mindfulness, as we've been talking about, is a, it's a quality in the mind. It's like metta, it's like concentration. It's a, it's a quality in the mind that can be cultivated, that has conditions that support its cultivation. And one of those conditions that, culti- that supports its cultivation is noticing when it's present noticing when it's here. So being kind of cognizant of the comings and goings of mindfulness. We usually call this the, the mind that wanders or the mind that, that gets lost. When the mind is getting lost, we don't usually think about it as mindfulness is disappearing, but that's what's happening. And so we can and kind of turn this aspect of the wandering mind or the thinking mind on its head and instead reflect on exploring the coming and going of mindfulness itself. So 
So the first place, probably the easiest place to begin to explore this is when it comes. I've had people at some time say, well, there's, you know, I can't see when mindfulness gets lost. It's either here or it's not. So the only thing I can see is when it comes back. And that's often true that that's one of the easiest places to begin to see the difference or the shift between non-mindfulness and mindfulness is when mindfulness returns. But it is possible also to begin to get familiar, as I was speaking about with that hoop, you know, the, the momentum of the hoop, seeing it get wobbly. We can also start to get a sense of this quality of mindfulness itself and begin to see it get wobbly. Begin to see the, uh, the kind of connection with experience get weak. And so we can start to see the mindfulness getting lost. Now we'll start with looking at, exploring something about seeing it return. And we've all mentioned this, I think almost all, I can't, I don't know if we all have, but I've heard many of us mention this moment of mindfulness returning. It is a great moment. Noticing it when it returns. This, this noticing of mindfulness returning is another way that we can cultivate continuity of mindfulness. We usually think of cultivating continuity of mindfulness in the way I spoke about with that gentle reminding, the, 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 the gentle prompting, every half breath, every few steps. And that works as long as we are mindful and so that, in, in, in that um, kind of mindfulness that, we're, that we explore in that case is called prompted mindfulness. When we are mindful, we remind ourselves in that gentle way. This re-arising of mindfulness when our mindfulness has been lost, that is called unprompted mindfulness because it just happens. It's, it's a great... Um, It's a great recognition, actually, if we are interested in the moment of mindfulness returning in and of itself and not so hooked into an idea or a a judgment, a self-judgment. Often in that moment when mindfulness returns, we can have a, a kind of judgment. I wasn't mindful. But that thought in the moment isn't actually true because we are mindful right now. And so... If we, can, if we can be really curious about that moment itself, about the mindfulness returning. You know, you didn't have anything to do with that moment. It was completely effortless. This is one of the great things that we can begin to taste in that moment of mindfulness returning. What it means to be mindful and not trying to be mindful. Because that's so often a place where we get, we get um, caught up. It's in the, the, the churning of doing of mindfulness. And so that moment when mindfulness returns, effortless moment, you didn't have any say over that, it just happened. Conditions came together for that mindfulness to return. And so this kind of mindfulness actually happens a lot and especially on retreat, you have an opportunity to see it probably thousands of times a day. Thousands of times a day, you get the opportunity to, t- to taste that effortless mindfulness. 
and to be curious about that moment. And that moment too is, is really useful in terms of beginning to recognize what it is like to be mindful, what, what the quality of mindfulness itself is like. Because that moment of mindfulness returning, if we're curious about it in and of itself and not thinking about the fact that we weren't mindful a moment ago, but curious just about, wow, mindfulness is back, what's that like? There's, there's kind of a, an interesting um, contrast, let's say, in the moment that mindfulness returns between what it feels like now in this moment for mindfulness to be back and what it was like seconds before or half a second before when mindfulness was lost. And so you get a taste of the difference between mindfulness and non-mindfulness in that moment. And you get a a kind of a felt sense of what it's like to be mindful. So that's really useful because this moment actually happens a lot. It happens way more than you think. And as we kind of develop a taste for that moment, we kind of attune to that quality of mindfulness returning we recognize it, we be, as we begin to recognize what that moment is like, it essentially begins to point itself out to us when it happens. Often that moment of, of mindfulness kind of resurfacing, you know, sometimes our mind is, gets hooked into something such as, oh, I wasn't mindful a minute ago, and we just, we just get lost because we haven't actually taken in, oh, I'm mindful again. And so if we can take in that we're mindful, it begins to kind of sensitize us or tune us to that quality of that moment. We begin to notice that it happens more. The feeling or the flavor of that begins to point itself out to us. And so we see more of those moments. More and more of those effortless moments of mindfulness all day long. What a a celebration that is. It's so great. So in that moment when you remember, when mindfulness returns, just simply recognize that you're aware now. That the awareness has returned. I actually use awareness and mindfulness synonymously. I just like to, to let people know that because sometimes uh, it's a different word. But for me, um, I like the word awareness for mindfulness. It's actually more evocative for me. The quality of what it is like. There's more of an evocative sense to the word aware. And so notice that you've become aware. And then you might notice whatever's obvious in that moment. Maybe not rushing back if you have a a particular anchor that you're using or, or primary experience that you're gathering your attention around. But just take in what's here now. The mind hasn't been present in the moments before and often in that, in the mind not having been present in the moments before, the mind is off getting up to something, thinking about something or just spacing out or whatever it's been doing. It's been doing something while you haven't been mindful. And often that has an effect on us in the present moment when we, when we return. And so noticing that quality of how is the mind now 
in this moment, with the mind not having been present in the moments before. In my own experience of of checking that out, it's really useful in checking that out, that how am I now in this moment, not having been mindful in the moments before? What is the effect, essentially, of what the mind had been doing while it wasn't mindful on my present moment experience? To my surprise, especially as my practice goes on over the years, quite often when the mindfulness returns, there's maybe a little, even a little bit of more settledness, more calm than was there before. And so it's not always that the mind gets up to hindrances when it's not mindful. Sometimes the mind wanders into metta and we're not aware of it. Or it wanders into peace or calm and we're not aware of it. And so in the waking up, yes, sometimes the mind will have gotten into an argument with a friend. And that will have an effect on our present moment too. Useful to notice that. And yet sometimes our mind will kind of find its way into more ease and peace. And so it's really useful not to have an a priori idea about what might be there. They're just like, ah, I'm back. And what's here? What's here? I find that curiosity is, I think some, one of the other teachers also mentioned this, you know, curiosity is such a good tool in our toolbox. It's not always available, but it is a very powerful um, motivator of energy. It's kind of like when we're curious, there's a natural engagement with the present moment. A natural inclination to keep being present. And so curiosity is a really great support for continuity. And so curiosity is also a really helpful tool on the side of the the comings and goings of mindfulness, if we're exploring the comings and goings of mindfulness, when we're exploring the goings of mindfulness curiosity about how do we lose awareness? Where do we lose awareness? This is, this curiosity is not intended to be a, um, a, um, a, a, an encouragement for judgment, but more a curiosity about what's the mind doing? What's it getting up to? So be curious about where the attention wants to go and see, possibly, maybe mindfulness might be able to to kind of follow it. So exploring, how do we lose awareness? Where do we lose awareness? I'm going to go through several 
ways that in my own experience I've seen the mind lose awareness. You may have your own ways. Um, I tried to kind of put them into general categories. Um, But I don't think this list is all-encompassing. One of the one of the ways to explore where we lose awareness is just to kind of be curious as we go through our day, where are the rabbit holes of mindfulness in terms of activities? So in what kind of activities or locations do we tend to lose awareness? We might tend to lose awareness when we go to our yogi jobs or when we um, go into our room and close the door. It's like, ah. Oh, Finally, nobody's looking. (laughs) I do not have to be mindful right now. We might be um, more inclined to lose awareness if we go on the loop. So just noticing if there are places, or maybe going into the dining hall, that's a a really um, like uh, rabbit hole of mindfulness often in the dining hall. And so um, curiosity about what happens. So... The encouragement here, again, I'm going to encourage this exploration through curiosity. As you, you explore, so going through the day, you know, at the end of the day, you, you could reflect or begin to recognize, maybe over these days now, you, you begin to see some patterns. Yes, in my yogi job, I lose awareness. When I go into the dining hall for lunch, it's gone until I'm doing my dishes. You might begin to notice some of these patterns. And the encouragement here isn't about doubling down, and trying to force my mind to stay mindful all the way through that dining room line, but rather to be curious about what happens there. You know, something's going on in the mind that you lose mindfulness. It's not random. Something happens. So what is it that happens? So the encouragement is, once you've seen some patterns, once you've seen, for instance, that the dining hall or taking a walk on the loop or going into your room are places where mindfulness gets lost, often, as we're heading to those places, we have some mindfulness. You know, in here at noon, there's mindfulness and the bell rings. Curiosity about when is it that mindfulness gets lost? Maybe it actually carries all the way until you cross that door and then start looking at the, at the, um, the board with the, the dedications. Where, where does it happen? When does mindfulness get lost? And so when you have the, the understanding of like, okay, it's likely mindfulness is going to get lost when I, when I head to the dining room, let's see what happens. Maybe it happens when you're, you know, in the line and actually start noticing, wow, that person took that much food. <laughs> and, and our mind starts comparing, I'm taking this much food, t- maybe I should take that much food, maybe, maybe they shouldn't take that much, whatever. Our minds get into these kind of stories and the mindfulness gets lost. And so be curious about where the kind of sticky parts are. What happens in there? So add some interest, perhaps, some interest, some curiosity about, let's see, not try to say, can I be mindful all the way through lunch, but let's see if I can notice where I get lost. 
And if, you, if you're curious about that, you might start to begin, you might begin to see, you know, if you're tracking it, kind of like, okay, yep, mindful here, yep, mindful as I'm walking, mindful as I'm standing in line, mindful as I pick up my dish, and, and knowing, you kind of can track where you are. And then you're eating. And so somewhere between picking up your dish and eating, that's where it happens. So the next day you can kind of add a little more interest after you pick up your dish. So again, curiosity around this, really helpful. I'm going to skip a couple of the ones I had on my list here just to um, get to some of the other ones. I'll just mention two of them really briefly. It's really common for us to lose mindfulness when um, there's uncomfortableness in the body, pain or discomfort in the body. And so again, rather than trying to force yourself to be with the pain, be curious about what happens. What does the mind do? I found at one point, um, just, I'll just mention this briefly. um, My mind had a strategy of spacing out um, and daydreaming when pain was happening. And when I kind of noticed that, when I woke up in the daydreaming, I recognized that the pain wasn't bothering me. It wasn't that it was gone, but it wasn't bothering me while I had been daydreaming. I just hadn't been mindful. And so I got curious about the fact that the mind knew how to not be disturbed by the pain. It didn't have to be disturbed by the pain, but it just didn't know how to do that mindfully. And so what what that began to instruct me in was how I might be able to just kind of set the pain aside. I didn't have to like zero in on it and focus on it, which is what my mind was doing. And so sometimes we can learn from what our mind does around particular difficult experiences. I learned that my mind knew how to let go of a kind of a magnetizing to pain and that it didn't have to be disturbed by it. So I could kind of ignore it in my mindfulness. So pain is a big one. And so looking at what happens there as the mind gets lost. We, we mostly, we, many of us do have strategies for navigating pain and a lot of them in, in include non-mindfulness. But they don't have to include non-mindfulness. And so curiosity about that. What happens there? We also tend to lose awareness in very habitual states of mind. Um, Jeannie gave the talk on the hindrances the other night. Those are five very habitual states of mind that we tend to lose mindfulness in. And the the exploration is really about can we bring the mindfulness into it? You know, often we will tend to recognize that we have been lost. So we, we sometimes recognize that we've lost awareness when we're waking up. So that that moment of remembering, we see, essentially we might see, wow, I got lost in boredom, or I got lost in this habit of anger, or I got lost in this spacing out, this habit of spacing out. And so in the waking up, 
sometimes we can see that that we are waking up habitually in some kind of familiar and old habitual patterns. And again, we, we may have some capacity to know when those patterns come up. You know, oh, boredom's coming up. But not, so when we see that we tend to habitually get lost in boredom, we can add some interest there too. Add some interest as Jeannie was talking about, you know, being curious about, being interested in the states, the, the hindrances themselves, or any habitual pattern. One of the main ways that uh, it seems that mindfulness gets lost or I think it's, this is a pretty common way for mindfulness to get lost, is that we are paying attention to something in our experience. Noticing the breath, for example, or we're doing walking meditation outside at night and you know, noticing the cool air and the, and the movement of the body. And then there's a sound these past nights, as we've left in the evening, there's been a very cool owl sound. So maybe you're doing walking meditation and you hear that. I can't imitate it, so you hear that sound. <laughs> and then you start thinking about the sound and then you start thinking about owls and what kind of owl it is and, and the mind, mindfulness is gone. And much of the time that happens because we haven't actually noticed that the attention shifted from what our kind of plan was. I'm going to be paying attention to the walking and the movement and that's where my attention is and oh, hearing and oh, owls and oh, it's out. And so we haven't noticed that the attention has shifted from what we had the kind of intention to pay attention to. Well, this, is, this, is, this is a really helpful thing to begin to see is when the attention shifts from one experience to another. We can begin to get familiar with this attentional shift. One place that this can be really fun to play with is in walking or in maybe not in the, in the formal walking such as Bhante described, but in if you're um, taking a walk for instance you might explore um, noticing seeing is happening, knowing seeing is happening or hearing is happening, and then be curious about when, so you could, you could do a walking for a few moments kind of shifting between seeing and hearing. Body moving through space and feet touching the ground. This is one alternative walking practice actually seeing for a few paces, hearing for a few paces, body moving through space for a few paces, feet contacting the ground for a few paces. You can do that taking a walk. It's a great kind of more everyday life or ordinary movement practice in walking. And in the seeing and hearing, um, you could be curious while the seeing is happening of when the attention might shift between seeing, 
just kind of taking in the flow of like, like you're just like a movie camera moving through space. And when it shifts from seeing to looking, that will happen very naturally. Maybe a bird or a squirrel runs across the path. The movement catches the attention and, and we're, we are looking at that. And so this is a shift of attention. And likewise in hearing, we might be taking in ambient sound and suddenly a particular sound catches our attention. And so noticing this shift between a more kind of general awareness and a very pointed awareness. Noticing that shift, we don't have to stop the looking, but get familiar, beginning to get familiar with that shift of attention. As we get familiar with that, then that can kind of carry in in our, in our meditation practice or our sitting practice or our more formal meditation practice. Sitting in the hall, paying attention to the breath, and then hearing the sound of a car drive down Pleasant Street. The attention shifts and we may begin to be familiar with what it's like for that attention to shift. We're with the breath with the breath and then we feel the attention kind of let go of the breath and move to something else. If we can notice that, then we can just, then we're just hearing. Hearing is happening. Hearing is happening. If we don't notice that, then we may be in that car driving down Pleasant Street, leaving IMS, (laughs) going to Boston, So noticing that attentional shift, this is a really useful exploration. And again, you know, noticing this this shift between seeing and looking, hearing and listening can be a great place to get familiar with that quality, the quality of that attention shifting. And then there's some kind of um, states of mind, I guess I'll say, where each of us may have a kind of habit of non-mindfulness. And we have some in common, often, spaciness, often a, a place where we're not mindful, a low energy sometimes is a place where we're not so mindful. Sleepiness or um, drowsiness, daydreaming kind of state of mind, often not so mindful. So there are certain states that the mind can go into where awareness will habitually not be there. But it is not, let's see, what's the way to put this? It is not an inherent part of that state of mind to be non-mindful. So thinking about something like spacing out, you know, it's almost by definition it seems like spacing out would be non-mindful. As part of the definition of spacing out, we might think that, you know, spacing out, well, I I guess, you know, that meant, you know, I can't be mindful of that, so better try to, you know, be present with the breath again. 
Well, at this point in my practice, if there's any state of mind where I think I can't be mindful of it, I don't believe that thought. It is possible to be mindful of any state of mind, except potentially non-mindfulness. But even that, we can begin to recognize the quality of it as mindfulness returns. But states of mind like spacing out or sleepiness or dullness or even falling asleep, it is possible to be mindful through the process of falling asleep into sleep. It's possible. And so, again, this exploration, uh, for me, the curiosity, there began to be a curiosity about exploring these states that I thought I couldn't be mindful of. And one of the best ways to begin seeing that or exploring that is in the moment, again, when mindfulness returns. You know, if, if if you wake up into daydreaming, for a few moments, you are aware of daydreaming. And so that gives you the flavor of what it's like to be mindful of daydreaming. If you're spacing out, when you come back into mindfulness for a few moments, there's this recognition of that's the mind spacing out. That is the mind being aware of that state of mind. I've told this story quite a lot, but it's a, it's a useful, useful um, example. And so um, I'll tell it again. So I was exploring this at one point. This was, um, I was eating a meal and kept noticing the mind spacing out. And at first I was exploring being mindful during eating. So at first when I noticed that spacing out, the, the, um, the intention when I noticed that and I was back into mindfulness was to pay attention to eating. Like, okay, oh, I'm back, be mindful lifting up the fork, putting it in my mouth, chewing, tasting. Mine would space out again. So I'd come back and bring bring that mindfulness back in, paying attention to all of that. It would space out again. At some point, I got curious about the spacing out. And this again, it was curiosity that really fed this investigation. And so seeing that it had happened a number of times, it was like I was with the eating of breakfast and then I began to, so this was, the, this was the beginning to notice the kind of mind letting go of eating breakfast, letting go of paying attention to taste and lifting and sensations like that. So there was kind of this, this feeling of the, the mindfulness letting go of the physicality of the sensations. But there was an awareness of that and so rather than bringing it back to be attentive to the physical sensations, there was more of a sense of, Oh, okay, I'm aware, so let's see what the mind is doing. And there was an ability to be aware of the mind as it kind of, it felt like it went and kind of, my, my mind kind of went and hovered up to the right-hand side of my head a little bit. It felt very restful. It felt very pleasant. It was kind of disconnected from the field of physical sensation. But it was very, I was very aware it was, there, was, there was full awareness of the state of mind. And in that experience, there was this real sense of rest. It's like the mind was tired. 
and it wanted to rest, and I wasn't letting it rest. I kept dragging it back, be mindful of the breakfast. And it, it, my mind basically said, forget it. You know, you are not doing this right. We are going to take a rest. And it would take its, it took its rest. And when I let them, let that happen with mindfulness, the mind rested. It was, it was so restful for that, for that time. And it lasted about 30 seconds. And then that state was released and I was eating breakfast and present with the body sensations very easily. And so this kind of connects to what I was saying earlier, that sometimes when the, the mind loses mindfulness, it's not necessarily getting up to hindrance. It may be actually helping you. This has been my experience. Sometimes when the mind wanders, it's trying to help us let go. And if we can be curious in that moment or, or see, you know, the mind's letting go of something rather than having the agenda, oh, come back. If I'm aware in that letting go and able to be present for that, sometimes the, the mind is kind of wandering into a new space. So I mostly want to encourage curiosity about exploring this. Curiosity is a support for continuity rather than a a doubling down when we notice places where mindfulness gets lost. You know, curiosity about what happens there. I certainly was trying to double down there where where I was trying to drag my attention back to eating breakfast. And that wasn't so helpful. But it was helpful to start to see the mind, oh, let's be curious about this. Where's the mind going? Oh, it's resting. Resting. Resting feels very good. (laughs) In this curiosity around seeing the coming and going of mindfulness, there's so much to learn. We learn a lot about our conditioned habits, patterns of mind, because often where our minds wander is around our conditioned habits and patterns. We also learn a lot about our beliefs about meditation and mindfulness. You know, what we can be mindful of, what we think what we, think we can be mindful of and what we think we can't be mindful of. Sometimes we might have this idea that Oh, can't be mindful of that. If, if I ever have the thought, I can't be mindful of something, I just, exp- I just say, really? If you're even thinking that thought, I can't be mindful of this, you already are mindful of it. You're aware enough of it to name it in that moment. So curiosity... We also start to see something about the uncontrollability of our mind through looking at this coming and going of mindfulness. 
You know, we sit down and we're exploring being mindful. That's, that's kind of main yogi job. That's our intention. We sit down, I'm going to be mindful. And how long does it last? You know, a couple breaths, maybe a few minutes, and the mind wanders. Who did that? Who decided to make the mind wander? You probably didn't decide to make the mind wander. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we kind of check out intentionally. But mostly it happens just because conditions come along. It's not self that the mind wanders. And then that moment of mindfulness returning. You know, who did that one? You weren't in charge of that one. And so this exploring the coming and goings of mindfulness, every day this truth of not self is staring at us in the face. Very obviously. And we usually kind of miss it because we think we're supposed to be in control of the mindfulness. So we really do get this kind of lesson about if, we're, if you're, we're curious about the comings and goings of mindfulness as opposed to judging ourselves about non-continuity, we can get this awe of the mind, this mysterious mind. So let's just sit for a couple of minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.